She goes, what do you mean a God who sees? And I said, just wait. It's all good. <laughs> so, Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet this widow keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and literally in Greek this says, and give me a black eye. So that's better than attack me. Um, And the Lord said... Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? May the Lord bless the hearing of his word. This is uh, one of those parables that you find in Luke and nowhere else. Um, Luke apparently had some information that nobody else had or he decided to include it for some reason. I think something to do with widows. He has an affinity for uh, those who are kind of on the outcast or on the outside of the heart of society. Um, As you walk through Luke, you see him constantly referring back to Jesus' ministry to the poor, to the orphans, to the widows. And um, so I, I think it's fitting that he tells this story. But this, this parable is not a parable about what God is like. Because if you read this story and you assume, uh, much like G- uh, Jesus does in other parables or other stories, that uh, like even what we did last week or the week before, where... Jesus tells a parable and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And then he tells a story about, the, the three stories, about the, uh, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost sons, right? Or what I like to refer to them as the found coin, the found sheep, and the found sons, right? And so, and, and the implication there is that this is what God is like. He is going to go find that which is lost. He's going to seek and save. I mean, Jesus says that in other places. I came to seek and save that which was lost, right? Well, you get this parable, and there's this widow, and she's had some sort of injustice, which was probably not all that uncommon. Um, But the fact that she's coming to this judge means that she's not... Um, being taken care of by uh, someone else. And oftentimes, if a a widow, someone whose uh, husband had died, uh, they were often taken up. They had, what in that time, what we called a redeemer kinsman, um, or a kinsman redeemer, whatever, um, however you want to say that. And that would be like if if, uh, I were... Let's not use that example. A little close to home, Sarah. Sorry, but... um, but if someone, if a husband were to die, <laughs> um, then my brother, if I had one, would come along and marry Sarah, if he didn't already have a wife, so that she would be taken care of. So when you have a widow 
And she's not been redeemed by a brother of the one who died, of the, uh, of the husband who died. She's kind of left out to dry. She doesn't have a way to, to get an income. She doesn't have... Um, she doesn't have a way to, to uh, she doesn't have anybody to advocate for her in society, and she's kind of left alone, which is why Luke kind of has this affinity. He, he cares for the widows and the orphans, those who don't have a voice, because isn't that who God came for? Not just the ones who have a voice, who can defend themselves and take care of themselves, but he also came for the ones who couldn't do that. So you have this widow who's going to this judge who doesn't give a flying flip. And she's saying, fix the injustice. And and of course, we don't totally understand this whole concept, but if you go back to uh, Exodus, and and you see um, Moses as he's dealing with the people, and he's leading the people out of Israel, I mean, out of, uh, leading Israel out of Egypt. And things start to happen. They have conflict. Imagine that. And so uh, Moses goes to his father-in-law Jethro, and Jethro says, you need to appoint a couple of people to sit as judges for Israel so that you're not having to hear all the whining and complaining that people are doing about what's happening between them. And let them help you regulate that stuff. So, put that in the context of what you hear here. And normally, if there was something that was done to my wife, my job as her husband within the the nation of Israel was to go advocate for her to a judge to be, have that wrong righted. The fact that this widow is going to the judge herself suggests that she has no one that can advocate for her or that will advocate for her. And she goes to this judge and she's just beating him down. She's going day after day after day because there's no one who's taking up her cause. And this judge doesn't care. Right? Finally, the judge relents and says, I'm just tired of her. I don't want to put up with her anymore. I'll just give her what she wants. So just give her what she wants so she won't, she'll stop badgering me and so she won't come punch me in the nose or throat punch or whatever. I don't know. Pick your favorite, you know, one-off little snide. And then he says, this is not what God is like. This is a different sort of parable. God is not like this judge. Because I think we get ourselves into trouble if we suggest that this is a call to go badger God to give us what we want. Because if we just badger God to give us what we want, then He'll eventually get tired of us badgering Him and He'll give us what we ask for. I don't think that's what this parable is about. In Matthew 6, uh, 33, and I heard this this week as I was at Buckner's um, uh, children's home and, and hope they have 
uh, all sorts of programs uh, uh, around the state where they minister to kids. They have group homes. They help with foster care and adoption. They help with kids who are aging out of foster care um, and help them have resources and access to those things. And I heard the president of uh, Buckner's say, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his justice will be added to you. And we normally have heard that translated his righteousness. And he said, but the, the problem with righteousness is we typically think that that's what we do. The way that we hear that is that that's what we do. But just as, as good of a translation would be, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his justice and all of these things will be added to you. And I think that that's important for us to grapple with alongside this parable. Because this parable is meant to tell us that God is not like that judge, but it is meant to encourage us as we are walking along the road of life to keep us moving ahead. How, though? Because this widow had no one on her side, and she's begging this judge to to help her achieve this justice. But God is not like that. We don't have to beg God to see and hear our struggles. We have a God who hears us. Who hears the pain and heartaches of His people. And not only does He hear us, He sees us. He sees our needs. He sees the things that are happening in our lives. And He doesn't just stand back and go, that's not my problem. But He enters into them with us. This God who sees also calls us, His people, to see those injustices around us. But not only to see them, but to be a part of what's happening with the injustices that we see in the world. Why do I think that? Because if we believe that what happened at Pentecost is still a part of what happens to us today. You know Pentecost, right? Acts 2. This is our favorite story in the Churches of Christ to tell. Because you get an axe in 238 and you chop everybody's heads off, we're good to go. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're done. That's it. Everybody good? Right? But what we don't pay attention to is what the Spirit does in the people of God after that. Because the most pertinent part of that is that they were caring for each other. They saw people who were in need and they took care of them. That was the Spirit of God at work in their lives. And so if we believe that God is not like this judge, He's the opposite of that. He's going to hear this widow's injustice and He's going to see it. And He's going to enter into it with her and seek to make it right. Seek first the kingdom of God and His justice 
Because if we are seeking His justice, that means we too are seeking to make things right. Why? Not because we are good in ourselves, not because we can do it on our own, but because God is in us. And He is working through us to make His justice come on earth. February was Black History Month. And there was story after story that you can hear and find about experiences, current and previous, and some awful, nasty experiences that some of our brothers and sisters have experienced throughout American history. And instead of being outraged and upset, apologetic and even remorseful about those things, I saw person after person after person who claimed to be followers of Jesus say, why, are we, why is there such a thing as white, Black History Month? Why don't we have White History Month or Mexican History Month or Asian History Month or w- name it? Instead of hearing their struggle, hearing their experiences, seeing it for what it is as their experience. And instead of writing it off like this judge did, entering into it and helping to make what was wrong right, we did the opposite. You see, the struggle really becomes that if we believe that God sees our struggles, our personal injustices, and He's acting on our behalf, then if we are joined in His kingdom and in His family, and we are a part of bringing His kingdom on earth, like Jesus' prayer there in Matthew 5, then, then might we be called to hear and see the injustices in the world around us and enter into them and be a part of of making them right. Should the injustices we hear happening to our black brothers and sisters make us persistent in calling out the racism that is still present in our country today? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to uh, uh, somebody in Lubbock who's a teacher, and she talked about the experience of a student who's in junior high, who watched his dad get pulled over and ripped out of a car and thrown in the back of a car for driving while black. He wasn't doing anything wrong. And yet these sorts of things are still happening right now, right here in West Texas. And instead of writing those off and pushing those off as something that doesn't happen here, or it doesn't happen because I'm not doing it, and seeing it, and hearing it, and entering into it, just as we expect God to in our own struggles, in our own injustices, we write it off because that's not my experience, or that's not what I think. But if we believe that God is not like this judge 
And we are called to, to be, be transformed by God, to be like God. Then shouldn't we also not be like this judge? And rather seek to allow the Spirit to work within us. To see, to hear, and to enter in to the injustices that are happening all around us in the world. So the purpose of prayer. Because Jesus starts, or they start this passage and Jesus says, I don't want you to become discouraged. The kingdom of God is at hand, but it's not going to be here fully yet. And you're going to face some really difficult things. And life is going to be hard. And there's going to be some things that you have no control over that are going to just be wrong. Are you going to see those things? Are you going to hear those things? And are you going to seek to be a part of my kingdom coming and help to make those right? The purpose of prayer then would be to recognize that we serve a God who sees because God hears and God enters into those injustices and sets them right because that's what a good king would do. That's what a good shepherd would do. He would protect, provide, guide, and encourage his sheep to move to safety. He would encourage them to eat good food He would protect the vulnerable. He would doctor the weak. Those who need help. He's going to care for those who are hurt. That's what we would expect a good shepherd to do. So why would God not do that for us? And if we have the Spirit living inside of us, why would we not do that for one another? So we pray so that we might hear. We pray so that we might see. And we pray in order to seek God's justice. And what Jesus promises is that when we seek His justice to make things right, that He will make them right. Philip Yancey says that life is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. Prayer offers no ironclad guarantees, just the certain promise that we need not live the mystery alone. Church, while seeking justice may not always provide all the answers, the acknowledgement of injustices that others experience in standing with them hearing them seeing them and walking through the injustice that they are experiencing we are helping them to see that they are not alone just as we are not alone prayer helps us to know that we are not alone like this widow was And so Jesus encourages us as we walk with Him to pray. Why do we pray? 
so that we know that we are not alone. So that we know that we have a God who sees, a God who hears, and a God who enters in so that we know that we are not alone. It may not be completed yet, but it has begun. That is the work of God. He's not like this negative Nancy jerk of a judge who needs to be throat punched. By the widow, not me. I would would never do such things. God is not like that. He hears, he sees, and he moves. Take courage, church. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to God the only Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, both now and forevermore. May he be praised. Amen.